Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. Welcome to Book Talk, your weekly podcast book club. This is the second section of All This Could Be Different. Katie, what happened in this section? Erica, a lot happened in this section. We start with Amit telling us the story of KJ, his high school friend, which is super sad. S asks out Marina. They have a blissful 11 days together, and they break up after a big fight at the end uh, where Marina asks her to be her girlfriend, and S freaks out and literally runs out of the house. After this, we have Tig. We love Tig. Gets into a fight with Amy as his landlord about the heat, demanding she fix it immediately. And she does. She also encourages S to reach back out to Marina and try again. She tells her to get her girl. Her and Tom are still really weird, but S is being a little bit more honest with him about her feelings. And work-wise, things are getting much worse. She finds out that she makes more money than Tom in kind of an awkward conversation. And then immediately after, stops receiving paychecks. She thinks that she'll be fired, but instead is given more to do, more responsibility, Still with no pay, though, and later we find out that's because they are, in fact, firing Tom, which leads to a big divide in their precarious friendship. She rekindles things with Marina, who is then pretty soon after immediately hospitalized with a serious infection, and a day after that, S heads home to India for two weeks with her parents, where they immediately go back to their norm, which is not talking about anything, but S is struggling a lot with her and Tom's break of their friendship and is missing Marina. It ends in a very sweet email that she sends back to Marina. I have such a bad feeling about the end of this. I Why? think I think S's parents are gonna read the email. <gasps> Wait, because she's not out to her parents yet. Right. Or her aunt her auntie, like she someone is gonna find that email because it's on like the family computer in the living room. Yeah, that seems like a setup for a disaster. I didn't even think about that, but now I feel very stressed for her because, of course, the one time she starts to talk about her feelings, I think the part when she was talking about her kind of conflicting realities where she's like, I get to pick and be this, like, godly good daughter or I get to be this girl who follows her own self. I get to be a girl who, like, is just experimenting in different people's beds or I get to be a girl who's fully confident. She's kind of, like, reckoning with what this means for her and her sexuality and her life and there's just like I can imagine something worse for someone who is going through that reckoning phase than to be found out the first time you truly express how you feel to the person that you love and someone to find that email that is terrifying I loved that section too where she was talking about the difference between blue and green and the difference between being essentially like a slut or empowered and how it's basically all about the person who's looking at it or like the angle that you're looking at it from and such a profound comment. I have really come around to loving this book now. I think it just took me some time to warm up to S probably the way it takes other people in her life some time to warm up to her. But I think she is, as you said, opening up a little bit more she's she's really trying and yeah that's also why I'm so scared that she's about to get outed right I think there's just a lot going on in her head where she's kind of thinking about this like her world is essentially black and white and she's coming to terms with like it might have to be gray and like how does she exist in that in a way that lets her fit into both worlds and if her parents are not accepting then it might not and that is really scary to 
possibly admit. So I feel like she has kind of kept all these walls up because she's just trying to protect herself. And it's easy to like kind of, I think, place judgment on people's coping or defense mechanisms because they can be really shitty to other people sometimes. But I feel like that is a lot of what she's done with her friendships. I will say the work drama really took me by surprise in this section. Shady, shady, shady. So she is getting rent for free, supposedly, but it seems very suspicious how this is happening. She finds out that the company is registered in a different state. She finds out that she's being billed as an employee, even though she's paid as an independent contractor. Um, Yeah, it just sounds like this is not correct. And also... Her boss has clearly realized that she is not going to do anything about it the way that Tom would. And so she's the one that he can keep around unpaid, paying like doing two people's jobs. Yeah, I this is going to go very badly, unfortunately. I think me, similar to us, we're both confused right now because I'm like, okay, this feels very bad. It feels like very, very bad that you have lied about where this company is registered, that you're paying her as an employee, but you're not giving her any benefits. But I can't really figure out yet why it's bad. Like, I'm not really sure exactly how bad this is going to go for her or how she's going to be implicated. It also feels a little bit deja vu of what happened to her dad. But again, I can't put my finger on exactly how it's going to work out for her, how the chips are going to fall. But it does not feel good. They are doing something sketchy. They're using her in some way. I don't know if it's because she also feels like this is precarious because she wants him to sponsor her in two years. So she's like, she'll be pretty agreeable. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what he's doing. He knows that she's in a position, a low power position. And so he's going to exploit it. I'm assuming it's just like tax and accounting fraud. Like you're running. Why are they paying her rent? Because it's a they're writing it off or they're using it as the headquarters of the company in the books for whatever reason. So I just feel like it's not going to end well. I thought I did think it was very a weird turn of events that compared to Tom, she found out she was making like significantly like five dollars more an hour, which is like a significant amount of money in that pay range. Like it seemed a little bit weird to me that she found out she was making more money. I expected that situation maybe because of how I was socialized for it to find out that she was making less money. Well, she did negotiate for it, and that was one of the early sections before she got hired. So it could be that. I don't know. It could also be that the promise of that money is enough to keep her in this position. And, I mean, he's not paying her now, so now she's working for free. It's even better. And you know Tom would never let that fly with his doctor. Doctor have an ass. He's not going to let that go. He doesn't let anything go. I find him so annoying. I'm like, you are on this fucking moral high horse, but you are also privileged and benefiting from all of the systems that you are yelling about. And it is just like cringy. He also seems to really be mad at S and I don't know why. I mean, she doesn't know why either. I think he's very confused. He's hurt. He just got fired. I mean, that's a huge hugely painful experience to have but it seems like his friend should be the one who he reaches out to and she's really feeling the the pain of that of the breakage in that friendship and that makes me so sad for her it's also she said like it's such a deep level of pain that no one like offers their condolences for you know like it's very difficult when you go through a friend breakup 
we talked about this, we talked about this before. Like it is a friend breakup is really hard, and it's one of those things people think you just don't do, or people don't do a lot of. And I think that there isn't a lot of conversation around how much hard, like how hard it is, or how much harder it is to break up with a longtime friend. At least equally hard as so many of the other breakups we go through in our lives. I just am still struggling because her and Tom's relationship, I feel like there's got to be more here. I feel like they are good friends, but they're also like kind of shitty to each other and also not really like speaking their whole truths or being very supportive. So I feel like it's interesting and I don't know why his reaction to this seems a little bit outsized for the situation, in my opinion. Yeah. And I also think part of the pain that she has is that she can't pinpoint one thing that happened. It's like, what did I say? Where did this go wrong? Is it the car thing? Like she's going back over everything and trying to pick out the moment where it all went wrong, but she doesn't know what to look for and she's being ghosted. And I've like had this, I've had someone in my life ghost me and it is the worst possible pain because you think about everything you said to them in the last like couple of weeks and you're like what could it have been did I like what did I do usually you didn't do anything it's usually about them but it's so frustrating to not know and to not be able to like respond or explain yourself or apologize if you did hurt them right I think ghosting is like the meanest thing you could do ghosting is so mean it's It's so so mean. mean it's so unnecessary it doesn't even give people a chance to like even if you're not going to continue the relationship, friendship, whatever it is, I feel like giving someone the information of how they could do it better, of how they could, of how they hurt you, whatever it is, like even just the information of how you're feeling differently, like helps everyone to heal and become better people. And I just like withholding it from somebody. I mean, I saw everybody how I'm feeling 24 seven, so I uh, can't relate, but I feel like it's just really mean. <laughs> I get it when it's like, under very specific circumstances. If we went on one date and you were super fucking creepy or potentially violent or whatever, like it's bad vibes. I feel like that's understandable. I don't know you. You don't know me. We're sort of like first time interactions. I get it. But with a friendship like this, where they've known each other for so long, it seems, it seems, well, it seems unfair. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Let's get into S's dating life. I still want her to end up with Tig. Oh, Tig is such a sweetie. What a Just good like, friend. Oh. Tig is such a gem, and I feel like part of S won't, she won't let herself see Tig for what she could be. And I'm like, are you sure? Just look a little harder. She's so sweet. I think it was very cute when she says for the first time to anybody that she loves her to Tig, and she's like, I love you too, babe. I'm like, oh. So sweet. I don't know. I don't mind her and Marina. I think they have something electric. They have something cute. They have something really wholesome. I mean, they did the very classic lesbian relationship thing of like being very intense very early on. The U-Haul baby. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I kind of am still rooting for them. I also feel like now we understand what happened with Marina and her ex and why she was on the apps and It definitely seems like this is a rebound for Marina, but I still think they have something that they could work out. Two things. I think the rebound thing is so interesting because I think that the first relationship after another relationship is always billed as the rebound, no matter kind of like really what time frame it's in or how intensive it is. But I do think Marina is like 
has been separated from her partner for a while, but it still feels a little bit reboundy. So I'm not sure if she's truly ready. I think it cannot be a rebound if you're emotionally ready or self-aware enough. I don't know if Marina is there. And then when she asks her to basically like commit, I feel like S is, she's just not really honest with a lot of people in her life, you know, let alone Marina. And I feel like when she asks her to commit, that feels like, how could I possibly commit with somebody who I haven't been honest with? And they haven't been honest with me, which I think is pretty telltale of this being a rebound in an unhealthy relationship. Um, and I think they can fix that. But I think right now, like, fight was not surprising. Again, I just cannot relate to her being like freaking out and then being like, I have to like get my shoes on leave and never talk to her again. <laughs> Seemed like a, again, a little bit of an overcorrection happening here. Um, but I get it. I think S has a lot to work through with how she deals with relationships of any kind and how she's honest people around her with what she's been through and what she still has to go through with coming out to her family, et cetera. I do feel like this is a lot in the beginning and S doesn't even tell Maria the reason she's sleeping at her house for 11 nights in a row the day after they get back together is because she doesn't have any heat because that would probably put like another situation around it like yes I want to date you but I'm here sleeping here because I don't have any heat instead Marina's taking this like she's moved in she loves me and so I feel like it's not unreasonable for her to be like are we girlfriends now they've eaten every meal together for two weeks (laughs) right also S is lying to Marina about her parents which started off as a misunderstanding, but almost as soon as she said it, she realized, oh, Marina's going to take this the wrong way and think my parents are dead. And then Marina does say, oh, and you never even told me how your parents died because they didn't die. Baby girl, Marina, she's lying to you because it's more it's simpler than the real story. So she's still like keeping Marina at a distance. Oh, not a good beginning for a relationship. But I think that. If they can realize that and if they can talk about that, if they can be like, here's why I instinctively lied because this is the what's happening to my parents and I. And Marina can be like, here's why I didn't tell you about Jenny. And they can talk about how to not fall into those patterns again. Like there is still redemption possible here, but only if they can actually have those honest conversations like we talked about in the beginning. Is that going to be ruined by the involvement of her entire community back in India? Maybe. I think one of the underlying themes relating to that is her relationship with her parents. So it feels very precarious and it feels kind of like it's based on this idea of her, you know, being married to a respectable man and coming back to either her hometown or making a life they're proud of in America. What do you think about this relationship specifically is affecting us and her relationships? There's obviously so much between her and her parents. There's, a lot of history there's a lot of unresolved things with her uncle with how she felt about them leaving with their expectations of her there's so much going on I think it comes down to two sort of simultaneous issues or wounds that on the one hand she is deeply embarrassed by what happened and by their scandal essentially that has followed them and they are too And it's sort of like no one has just talked about it. Like this was a huge fuck up. Nobody did it intentionally. We now have this like stigma associated with our name. So like her dad can't even get a job. So there's this sense that she has that they also have that they failed. They tried the American dream and they failed. And it's because they got taken advantage of. 
Right. And they're constantly modeling that for her, that the correct reaction to this happening to us is extreme embarrassment and is failure and failure. You are a failure, even if what you do is not, or what happens to you is not because of something that you did. And it's something to like hold on to and feel shame about. Like they're all modeling that to each other and they're not talking about it. So much of this family drama, I feel like could be resolved by everybody kind of admitting their feelings and working through it a little bit. Totally. And at the same time, and this is something I relate to, you can disagree with your parents and be a very different person with a very different lifestyle and still want them to accept you and be proud of you. And so she has this like extreme separation from them and distance between them and the way their lives are lived and their customs and like their emotional relationship is so separate. At the same time, she really wants them to still like love her and be proud of her. And she's so like she carries that burden. There's a quote that she said about it that I want to find, but I'll also let you react to that. I think that's how a lot of people feel about their parents, right? There's this innate need for them, especially if they give you so much, right? Her parents brought her to America. They set her up in this life. She feels this kind of like debt towards them for that, along with this shame of how it ended. She also feels a lot of abandonment from them. And I think there is this thing that happens with people and their parents, which is that you can't talk about things as openly and as honestly and as you might with your friends or people that you meet when you're an adult yourself because they've seen you through your whole life. I don't know really what causes that, but it's just a different level of relationship with the person who raised you than people that you may meet when you're 25 and you're in a different phase and you might be able to talk to them more openly about things. It's just like a lifetime of history. And then there's this also this communication situation that happens, I think, with parents and their kids where people are just less up and coming because they're so scared of breaking it maybe. I don't know. Or because they're scared of the judgment that will come from it or from what will happen mm-hmm. if they're as honest as they want to be. Ooh, yes. So this was on page 85. Amit and her are talking about arranged marriages. And she says, what felt more important to me and impossible to say was how likely it was I would finally capitulate if they proved immovable in their desire for me to be taken care of, which for them meant the chosen marriage, the decent paid for man, anything else, let alone what I wanted, bringing shame on the family. I did not know how to explain this stubborn love for my parents that I staggered under, iridescent and gigantic and veined with a terrible grief, grief for the way, grief for the ways their lives had become compost for my own. Oh, grief for the ways their lives had become compost for my own is like crazy. I had to look up the word capitulate when I was reading this, but I mean surrender to. So at this point, I mean, so she's basically feeling like I will never come out to my parents. Right. Because it would devastate them and the vision they have for her. And she feels like this is what I'm talking about. The feeling that your parents have done something for you by raising you, by laying down their life, by sacrificing things for you that you owe them to become whatever vision they had of you. And saying that you're not going to be that is, I'm sure, extremely heartbreaking and hard. I have like very supportive parents so that I have never had to go through that. But I think that I can't even imagine looking at somebody who you have this different kind of love, which you have for almost no one else in your life and being like, that's not who I am, who you wanted to be your dreams for me. They're not going to come true. Like that has to be so hard and heartbreaking. I don't know what's going to happen with Sneha as we now know her name is and her parents. I don't know if they will accept her, but I do think we can agree 
if parents are able to separate themselves from their children, which not all parents are able to do, and separate their own dreams from their kids, which they should, and allow their kids to be fully grown, complete, separate people, they should have the space to allow the kids to be who they want to be. And sometimes the expectations are in your head. And it, and it, all you need to do is tell your parents and realize that they're very understanding. So I'm thinking of careless. And I'm hoping that maybe S's parents will come around. But I think it's going to take a while. I think I it's going to blow up between them for sure. I think this is going to be more of a journey of Sneha realizing that she can hold herself and that it's okay if maybe her parents cannot, then it is going to be like a careless situation where her parents are like, you know what? Actually, we're totally fine with that. But I mean, we can still hope because we don't know. Okay. Well, I'm, I can't wait to find out. Okay. Talk, 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 talk. I read one book this week. I last time talked about how I had read literally a Nazi book, a cannibalism book, and then a book about a rape trial. So I felt like I deserved something a little light and happy. So I read a Josie Silver book called One Night on an Island. Uh, it was a very cute rom-com. I really liked it. I've read a couple of Josie Silver rom-coms before. Some of them I really like and some of them are like too cheesy for me. But someone specifically recommended this one. It's about a British girl who goes to an abandoned or like a really tiny, not abandoned, but island with maybe like 100 people who live on it off the coast of Ireland. And she goes there to kind of find herself and actually self self couple or like self marry like a la Emma Watson. And she goes there. And of course, there is an American man who's come to heal himself after his recent separation, also living in the cabin, which, of course, has only one bed. So. You can just imagine where this goes, but it doesn't end. The ending was not um, expected. I thought it was actually pretty realistic and sweet. Their eight-day romance was wonderful. Overall, there's a lot of self-discovery, a lot of this this girl really finding out who she is and her power in being a woman and being and being undecided and being single and being exactly who she is. And she finds this sense of community that she's never felt before in a big bustling city or in any of her friend groups and she kind of truly learns the meaning of sisterhood and of these of kind of living in a small tight-knit community who shows up for each other and you can find that anywhere I don't think you have to be in a small town and that's part of her realization as well is like you can create a small town wherever you're at you can be a local even in New York like you can do it but it's about creating that sense of community so I thought it was a very sweet read with some kind of deeper undertones if you want a good beach read and if you read romances on the beach. Wow. What an eloquent review, Katie. Thank you so much. <laughs> I am still reading Matrix by Lauren Groff. This book is wild. I don't know I was wondering, how I feel about it. I was wondering why I knew that name because Lauren Groff, it has the quote on the front of this book yes and so she's like an extraordinary novel like author of the matrix and i was like who's reading the matrix that is I you because <laughs> you were also like what a weird title which it is all these things are true so you're not liking it i don't know it's very strange it has all this lingo that i can't tell if it's made up or if this is actually what this like 
feudal system would use to talk about nuns. There's like the sub prioress and the all these kind of weird religious terms that mm. I can't tell if she either heavily researched or entirely world builded into reality. Either one is very impressive. Uh, things are sort of going off the rails in the nunnery where this is all happening. And I think it's going to depend on how she wraps it up because I can't quite tell what the message is yet. So as usual for me, I feel like if she brings home a really powerful metaphor or theme, I'll like it. But I don't know. I'm almost there. I'll finish in the next couple of days. Okay. But I did not read that much because I was at a mini conference in Princeton meeting so many of my academic, um, I want to say idols, but then I paused because I don't know if idols is a bad word. Probably. God probably does what not like that. that. Gord. Yeah. But, <laughs> and, <laughs> but um, I met so many famous psychologists who I've looked up to and admired their work for so long. So that was really fun. And at dinner, they asked what I was watching on Netflix. And literally, my mind went completely blank because the last thing I watched on sex on was Netflix was, no, the last thing I watched was how oh, to build building a sex, a sex room. room. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, I'm not saying that. So I'm, I watch. So I guess I don't watch, watch TV. <laughs> What's a TV? I just do research. Honestly, I just read every day by candlelight. I'm just trying. <laughs> I can't even finish it. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney. With production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. I'm going to do that right now before I get out of this bed. I read a very You have to do Talk Talk. Oh, yeah. Okay. Great, because I was about to tell you what book I read. (laughs) That's so funny. Wow. I'm so funny. All right.